Welcome to my Japanese Green Tea Podcast, a show dedicated to Japanese tea. Hosted by tea blogger Ricardo Caicedo. Welcome to episode 42 of my Japanese Green Tea Podcast. Today's guest is Tia Sosen of the Tea Crane. We'll talk about his recently published book. Hi, Tia, welcome to the show. Hey, Ricardo, good morning. Thank you for having me again. I think it's uh, the, the third time that we're, um, we're talking here on,、uh, on your show, and it's always a pleasure to be able to talk to you about Japanese tea related things. It's also a pleasure to talk with you, and hopefully, I, I can see you again in Japan. That'd be wonderful. Can you briefly introduce yourself to the audience? Of course. I'm Tias Sosen,、uh, currently resident in Japan, Kyoto.、Uh, moved here about 12 years ago.、Uh, initially, I got interested in、uh, Japanese martial arts, culture, and tradition. And through that, I got interested in,、uh, in the Japanese tea ceremony. So I started practicing tea ceremony about 12 years ago, and that's what I've been doing here while I'm living here in,、uh, in Kyoto. About six to seven years, I think seven years ago, I started working for a, a tea vendor in Kyoto because I wanted to know more about Japanese teas in general. From that experience, I,、uh, I learned that there's much more to Japanese tea than what is commonly known or made available for information. And so I started digging deeper. And at the moment, I'm, I'm mostly active here in Kyoto with. Um, tea ceremony related activities as I've received a、um, tea ceremony instructor license from my,、uh, the Grand Master of the、uh, Enshu School, which is a tea school that I practice. And I've also received accreditation as a Japanese tea instructor from the Japanese Tea Instructor Association, which has led me to doing more tea vending related、uh, things. But in that respect,、um, I focus mostly on organic or naturally grown Japanese teas, which is perhaps slightly different from what is、um, Seen as, as the conventional Japanese teas. It's a bit a different approach as well, but that's what I do mostly at my,、uh, my tea shop,、uh, the tea crane. Okay, so let's talk about your book. So, the, the title of the book for people that, that haven't seen it is The Story of Japanese Tea. Can you tell us a little about this book? Like, why did you decide to write it and when did you start writing it? Well, it's,、uh, it's a long story, actually.、Um, not, not the story of the book, but the story of how I got to the book.、Um, the story of Japanese tea, a broad outline of its cult,、uh, cultivation, manufacturing, history, and cultural values, is、um, a book that I well, finally brought to conclusion November last year, November 2019. And it includes a lot of information about how Japanese tea. Not only Japanese green tea, of course, green tea is,、um, is a big aspect of, of what I talk about, but how Japanese tea is cultivated, how it's manufactured, a bit of the history about it, the different types of tea, what is available. And more what I really wanted to do with the book is to show how tea producers in Japan care about their manufacturing. And as I just mentioned, that with the tea crane, my online tea store, I focus mostly on organic and naturally produced teas. Of course, the producers that I、uh, have interviewed in the book and have obtained information from are mostly organic or、uh, natural tea producers. So, how I got to writing this book is actually before I started the tea crane in 
So that's now five years ago. I was already writing a blog called Tea Talk. I don't know if you remember Tea Talk. Mm, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think many people remember it because it wasn't a really a big thing. But I was interested in tea. I wanted to do uh, to share more information because I'm here at the source and there's there's a lot of things that I uh, can discover and can share. But as I was doing that, I felt. I can talk about these amazing teas, but when these teas are not available, then how is anyone ever going to appreciate them? So I thought I should shift to tea selling and opening a tea store. So that's when I got to the tea crane. But I also wanted to share a lot of information and I've been looking for, for methods. Um, can I do that through writing a blog? Can I do that through doing uh, videos, for example? And, I, and I've been doing those as, um, I've been doing all of them, but the more I've been doing it, the more I've been feeling that what I was sharing was too fragmented because Japanese tea or tea growing in general is a mixture of all of everything that goes on during its growth, during its manufacturing, during the brewing process. And in order to understand the tea, I feel that you have to have knowledge about all these different aspects and see the tea as the whole it is. So when I'm talking about a machine, for example, on a blog, then that gets pulled out of its context. When I'm in a tea field and I'm showing a tea garden from a farmer, that's nice to see and that's good information, but it's all pulled out of its context. So what I felt I needed to do was to bring all the information that I have and all the information that I think that should be shared about tea together. And, and the best medium to do that was to write a book, because in a book you have all the information in one place, you can read through it and you can understand the whole matter, as it were. So that's why I decided writing a book. Now, gathering all this information is not something that I intentionally did over the past five years, uh, being busy with the tea crane, looking for different teas. I've been meeting with a lot of different producers, and I felt that they all had a very great vision, um, a philosophy about their tea manufacturing. And from those interactions with those manufacturers, I obtained a lot of information of which a lot of the uh, information is also uh, presented in in the book. So most of the, the information that is in the book, I obtained from manufacturers that I've had interactions with. Now, the compiling part was the most intense. And I think it was October 2018 that I started to write. And usually since winter in, in Japan, is um, it's cold and you'd rather stay inside and there's not much going on. So um, it's, it's a quiet time. I decided to use October, November, December, January, February to just focus on writing down everything that I know. Okay, and I read the book and there's a lot of emphasis, as you mentioned, in natural teas. What are natural teas and what was the difference between natural and organic? Mm -hmm. um, well, of course, the the focus in the book and, and also, as I said, I, I wrote down everything I know and most of my interactions are with producers that either work organically or that work in a natural way. Now, the reason why I make the distinction between organic farming and natural farming is because I believe that there are two approaches to organic farming, and there's one approach that takes organic farming even a step further, which is natural farming. Organic farming in general is, in Japan, you have the, the, the JAS label, the JAS organic label. They have produced a positive list which indicates which pesticides, which um, agricultural chemicals, which 
items you can and which you can't use. So to say organic, we usually perceive as it can only be natural um, substances that are uh, used on the plants. But in fact, in the positive list, some of those substances are also, well, chemically altered substances. Some producers that I work with uh, say we don't want to be affiliated with that system because that affiliating us with that system might indicate that we could also be using um, chemicals, fertilizers, uh, things that we are actually not using. And there is no system to to clarify or to um, register that we are working in an absolutely natural way. So to summarize, organic farming can use, well, organic fertilizers, um, substances that are uh, agreed on by the, the chess uh, system in their positive list. But natural farmers say we go about growing our tea bushes in an absolutely natural way. So no fertilizers, no chemicals. We use nothing on our bushes. They get the nourishment from the environment in which they are growing. And that is the tea that the tea will become. I think that is the biggest distinction between an organic approach and a natural approach. And even within organic are the people who use as many fertilizers and, and substances they can to produce an organic tea that is as close as um, in taste and in flavor to what a conventional tea would taste like. And there are people who say, we're working organically. Let's look at what we can use to enhance the flavor of our tea, but we're going to produce a tea that is organic. And we're not going to try to imitate uh, conventional teas. That's a very important distinction, I think, that should be made because conventional teas can be only as rich in umami flavor because of the amounts of fertilization the bushes have received. And the more you fertilize, the more you need to apply pesticides because the bugs will also be attracted by that lusher, tastier flavor. When working in an organic way, what you have to do is to reduce the amount of fertilizer and that inevitably will change the flavor of the tea. So within organic, I see those two groups. And then outside of that, the people who go a step further are the natural tea producers. And how many of these natural tea producers are there? Are there many or it's still not that much? Well, organic in general is not a big market in Japan. There are a few who are doing industrialized um, organic for the international market. But of course, that's also a focus on um, mass production. The producers that I speak of um, who are doing things a little bit more small scale, um, really using their artisan approach to creating a natural product, those people are few. I think I can count them on both hands. A few more, but that's about the analogy I should make. And you, you sell natural teas, right? Is it easier to sell them inside Japan or outside Japan? No, it's not easy to sell at all. <laughs> The, the issue with it is in Japan, first of all, an, um, an interest in what is organic and why organic is better is lacking. There are not that many people who, who understand why organic um, is 
better over conventional. And that's not only for tea, but accounts for all other vegetables and, and organic products. Whereas in the West, in, in, in Europe, definitely, and in, uh, in America as well, there's a much bigger cry out for organic products. And there are much more, many more people who understand that um, organic is better for ourselves, better for the environment. And it's also just overall an, a more natural approach to, to life. Um, but that is still lacking in Japan. There's, there's not that many people who understand organic yet. So then when I look outside of Japan, then the problem becomes it's tea. And the people who know and understand and like tea are usually people who already know it and who, who are sort of tea lovers or tea aficionados, uh, people who are doing doing certain things with tea uh, on a daily or, or regular basis. And it's those people that are looking for interesting or new products. But the regular tea drinker is usually just figuring out that loose leaf is better than a tea bag. But then to pull that all the way to the distinguishing between conventional, organic, natural teas, why these teas are supposedly better for your health, for the environment as well, and what makes them special, because that's that's what I think is, is um, my main drive. It's because they are specialties. They're small batch from producers who, who only produce several kilos of um, a specific tea, not several tons, but several kilos, several, well, 10 kilos, 20 kilos. Some produce 100 kilos, but it's definitely not um, a huge amount. Also, that makes it very rare teas, but it's also about the story behind these, the, the philosophy of the producers of how they treat their bushes and how they want to stand in life themselves. And so it's, it's a whole other dimension, which makes it, um, well, really a product that needs to be savored by, by people who understand. And so it's definitely not an easy seller. Yeah. It's like its own category of tea because obviously even though they're Japanese teas they don't taste like the standard Japanese tea uh, taste like exactly that's that's a, a very good remark because the standard Japanese tea nowadays is, is conventionally produced it's um, most of its flavor it has received through fertilization and in a way although I understand that People are looking for organic products and that there are organic producers who are trying to imitate that um, conventional tea's flavor. I see both streams, actually, so the conventional stream and the organic natural stream as two different categories of tea. If you're going to compare them, if you're going to compare an organic tea to a uh, conventional tea, I feel it's just as, as similar as comparing pears to apples. It yeah. are two different things. You can't you can't say this one's better because it has more umami. Yes, I know. Then you go for a, then you choose an apple. You don't compare an apple and a pear. Yeah, we're talking mainly about green teas, but how about the topic of oxidized teas in Japan? Mm-hmm. It's growing. There are more black teas. There are more oolongs. Um, some producers are experimenting with white tea. I do have the impression that the producers who are experimenting with black teas, white teas, oolongs are artisan producers, organic farmers who are already doing something out of the box. And so they have the, the leeway to do something different. But in a way, they also have the necessity to do something different. Because 
a conventional producer doesn't have to find other ways. He can just bring his, uh, his tea to the tea market, to tea auction, and get it sold. Um, an organic producer doesn't have that opportunity. He needs to find his own clientele and supply directly. They don't have access to a big tea auction or a, or a tea market where they can bring their um, teas to and where they're taken care of. So in order to appeal to the customer and say, well, our teas are interesting, um, come and have a look at what we're doing, I see that there's a trend in looking more to oxidize teas as well and to create a variation of types of tea, types of flavors that can be obtained from from one single um, farm. Japanese mm -hmm. black tea or oolong tea, they're trying to make it a, a bit different so, so that it's not just like a copy of an Indian black tea or a Chinese oolong. Can you tell yes. us something about that? I think I, I wrote that in the book as well that For Japanese black tea to be Japanese, it's not necessary to go about copying uh, Sri Lanka black tea or um, or an Indian black tea. I think there's more value in positioning Japanese black tea on the market as being Japanese. And uh, one of the ways that um, Japanese tea producers can do that is because Japan is known for its green tea culture to employ a lighter approach to uh, withering and oxidation, which produces a, a black tea that is, is lighter in color, it's lighter in flavor, and it's um, when it's produced with green tea cultivars in Japan, those are also already less um, less intense, less bitter in flavor, and so they don't produce those um, those strong flavors like like Indian black teas can have. But what I want to say about uh, about this is um, I've also written in the book that some of the producers, the approach they take to crafting tea is not what do I want to make out of this tea and in order to become the tea that I want to produce how am I gonna fertilize it how am I gonna grow it how am I gonna which things am I going to do to the bush so that it produces the flavor I want no the natural uh, producers that um, that I've interviewed and that I've talked to is that they have an approach How can I bring out the good in this tea bush through my production of tea? Which approaches do I take in order to allow the tea to express it to its fullest? And that's the same for, for green tea. I've heard that a lot in, in Kamaidicha uh, producing regions. And it's the same for black tea and oolong. How can we treat this tea bush and, and how do we let it wither to bring out its best capacity? And what those producers have discovered is that Japanese tea bushes and the environment, the terroir in Japan is generally more suited for green tea, that lighter flavor, that fresh character. And that's something that is also expressed in, um, in most black teas. Of course, there are producers who imitate, um, well, mainland tea types and they produce great results. Although if we look to the future, I think that an imitation of a tea that already exists has less value on the market because it's a copy and an imitation than a truly unique tea that no one else is yet producing and is it, that is at the same time delicious. I should add to that is before I came to Japan, I always drank green tea only. I didn't like black tea because it was too bitter and, and I didn't understand why, why people would enjoy Uh, that, tea. that being said, 
I've never had any good black tea at that time because it was, I think, loose leaf was twinings out of um, out of a tin box. Um, <laughs> so good black tea I didn't have, but I didn't enjoy the idea of black tea, and I did enjoy green tea. Now, when I came to Japan and tried Japanese black teas, I felt this is a black tea for people who like to drink green tea because it's got the same freshness, the same attitude as green tea, yet the flavors and the aromas are much more interesting. So it's a black tea that appeals to me and it can appeal to other people as well who are maybe not necessarily attracted to black tea in general. And I think that's the potential of, um, of Japanese black tea. Regarding matcha, uh, are there also natural matches? Yes, there are. The problem with matcha, the biggest problem with matcha for even or, um, organic manufacturing, for natural manufacturing, is that our flavor palettes have been conditioned to look for umami in the taste. And with a natural tea or with an organic tea, that umami isn't usually there because to get that umami in the bush, you need a lot of fertilizer. You need to fertilize heavily so that the tea can produce a lot of amino acids. If you don't fertilize heavily, then there's no way for the tea bush to obtain that amount of amino acids. Even if you shade the bushes and make sure that through photosynthesis, um, well, to shutting out the sunlight and to not make photosynthesis possible, maintain as many amino acids as, as the tea bush produces, you won't even get that close to what you get with a lot of fertilizing. So generally the taste of natural and organic um, matchas is less thick and is more vegetal and you might get a little bit more bitter. But coming to think of conventional approaches that are in use today, having only come in use about the last hundred years, then the tea that was being produced before that must have tasted completely different. And I honestly believe that people a hundred years, two hundred years ago when they drank matcha, they had shading practices, they had a little bit of um, fertilizing, they used um, human manure, um, animal manure, uh, fish rests as well. So they used fertilizer to induce the, um, the sweetness to they covered the, the tea farms to protect them from uh, sunlight and to, main, to not produce any bitterness. But the tea must have tasted completely different from what we know as matcha today. And because now we are used to that amount of sweetness, to that amount of umami flavor, when we have a tea that is produced in a more organic and more natural way, um, it doesn't appeal to our flavor palace because we're not used to it. So the, the biggest issue with um, organic and natural teas, uh, matcha teas, is that it's something that we have to get used to. Yeah, I guess it takes uh, some time and, and also probably like before there was sencha, before there was like the shading of matcha, pro probably it, it was really bitter. Like the, the this powder tea when it came to Japan, it, it must have been really bitter when made in Japan. Oh, yes, I think so. Because they, they didn't have, like, the right cultivars, like, the ones that they have now are, are like, um, focused on umami. Yes, well, cultivars are only in use since the 70s. The registration system started in 53, um, but it's since the 70s that 
that most producers started using cultivars. So before that, the 800 years of tea production in Japan um, before the use of cultivars was all seed uh, seed grown. So there were no right um, bushes for um, a specific type of tea. Yeah. And before shading practices and, and all that, the tea must have tasted much more bitter, as you say. But people, they didn't know anything else, so probably it didn't feel that bad. <laughs> Like, no, and I, I gotta be honest. Used to um, yeah. I gotta be honest. I had um, a sencha matcha, which basically is on, on a shaded. pulverization of sencha leaf, which is not shaded. It's um, grown out on the open. It's not been. It's from the the Kasiga Mountains in uh, in Gifu, that place where I uh, where I took some pictures and and said this is the, the Japanese Machu Picchu because it just looks like the Japanese Machu Picchu. <laughs> It's, it's got these um, terraces and, and, and it just looks really beautiful if you look at it from a, from atop a mountain. And in that region, everything done is done absolutely natural. So no one is using fertilizer. No one is using pesticides. Everything is just the bushes. They grow in their natural environment and that's where they get their, their health and nutrition from. And so this producer produces um, a, a sencha and she made a powder out of it and I thought I'm just going to try this as um, as matcha. So I uh, I whipped up a bowl and it tasted amazing. It has bitters in there, but they're they're bitters like you would have in uh, in vegetables, like in um, asparagus, for example. It's not a bitterness that you can't um, enjoy. Whereas if you oversteep in a, a conventional sencha, it, it has this immense bitterness that is just not palatable. Whereas with uh, with natural and organic teas, I feel that a lot of them. Even if you oversteep them or even if they're slightly bitter, the bitterness that they have is a natural bitterness and it's something that we can enjoy. For example, over <coughs> here in, in my country, like mm -hmm. people, they're, they're always drinking coffee, right? So oh, yes. some people that they, they don't really, they, they haven't tasted much tea at all. And then let's say they, they try a match and they, mm -hmm. they immediately say like, wow, this tea is so bitter. But but if you <laughs> if you think about it, like coffee is many times bitter. Yes. But since yes. they're used to the flavor, they, it's like they don't feel it. Mm -hmm. So that I'm sure that that's what happens. Like once everyone started drinking the conventional teas, like they they yes. can't easily go back to the the original flavor because they they already say, oh no, this tastes so much different. Yes, there's there's a lot of difference on it, and it's difficult to go back and to imitate what is um, what is being produced as a conventional now in a natural way because it's it's just not possible. Yeah, so it's probably better to keep it as a as a different category and don't try to make one into the other. Exactly. Um, the other reason for that is, um, although I think organic is, is, is better for everyone, it, it helps the world, with the amount of teas that organic and natural tea producers are, are fabricating, there just isn't enough to supply the world. Whereas with conventional production, you can do mass production, and conventional production is, is made for mass production and mass consumption. So conventional production has their their purpose in supplying everyone who wants to drink Japanese tea. Whereas natural teas, they're not there for everyone. There's not enough for everyone. Um, even if we would shift production completely, the amounts you can produce will also be reduced because um, less fertilization means less leaf and so in the end less tea. 
So there's that balance between how much do you produce, um, what is the the return you get from from the manufacturing method you're taking, and so it makes it inevitably more expensive as well. So both types of um, both categories have their purpose, and I'm not saying conventional must disappear for the sake of um, organic. Um, although it's better to go with more organic methods because we're just destroying the world. Conventional, in a way, has its meaning of existence. Um, and it's because because of the fact that conventional teas exist that organic teas can exist as well because more people get to know about tea in general and have the ability to look for other alternative products as well. And what do you think about uh, what could be the, in the near future for Japanese tea? The near future for Japanese tea, it's difficult to say with um, the way Japanese tea is, is growing and, and how it's um, being perceived outside of Japan now. It's mostly matcha that is booming and with all superfoods and healthy things, there's going to be something new. So it's difficult to say what's going to happen with, with matcha in the next um, several years. What I do feel is that there's a, a tendency towards more attention for the story, um, like the, fa the fair trade story. Where does the tea come from? Who's making it? Why is he making it? What kind of person is he? And a tendency to learning more about the person who's crafting the tea rather than just, and I just need something to quench my thirst. Um, so I feel that people are, are wanting to know more about where, where things are coming from. And that's not only tea. That's, that's just in general. Um, and I think that's, that's growing and it's going to continue growing, not exponentially, but gradually and i think that's also the recipe for for something to stick and to stay okay uh, ts well th thank you very much for your time uh, thank you ricardo i'm glad that you're sharing all your information about japanese tea and, and natural teas and i yes. wish you the best with with the tea cream thank you um i'm well really happy to be able to I think I've done a, a lot of talking today, um, but I'm really happy to be able to share. And that's also why the book is here. Um, it's basically because if you look in English online for information about Japanese tea, it's just not that readily available. And there, there isn't really a book that is as concise and as um, well has this amount of information about Japanese tea in it. So I'm, I'm really happy to be able to share that with um, the world. And I'm, I'm really happy to have been able to share this uh, this time talking about Japanese tea and, and talking about how I perceive um, Japanese tea at this moment with you. So it's, um, um, I really appreciate you taking the time for doing this. Yeah, and for the readers, I, I have the link of the book in, in, the, in this post. Or, or if not, you can also uh, look for it in, in Amazon. Um, so thank you again, Tis, and talk to you later. Goodbye. Okay, Ricardo, thank you. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to my Japanese Green Tea Podcast. Join us again next time 